All right. Jack, back again. Missed you, man. Oh, and I you, brother. And I you. Yeah. Um, so lots of haps since the last time we got together. Yes, yes. Some big some big number haps. Yeah. Yeah, you want to uh want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So Justin and I were talking this morning about um what was widely reported as the mother of all breaches. Um, and depending upon when you hear this, it was either really recently or maybe it was a while ago. Um, but it was 26.6 billion records were identified um, in a single site that you know were basically stolen identities and, and what have you. A variety of different kinds of information underneath. Sometimes it was just sort of like username and maybe an address or an email address. Uh, sometimes it was everything down to passwords. Uh, there was no reports of it containing any like real PII from my perspective, like healthcare information or um, financial information, but there were accounts in there with passwords that could have been used to reach it. So anyway, so it was a very big deal. Um, and doing some research on it, uh, it turned out that those 26.6 billion had already been around. They were basically a compendium of lots of other breaches that had happened. And the organization that was breached, which was called Leak Lookup, uh, admitted to having a firewall misconfiguration that, that randos in, but this is actually what they do. They actually distribute this information ostensibly to help people know when they've been breached, uh, sort of like a more verbose way of providing perhaps too much information, but in a similar way like Troy Hunt does with Have I Been Phoned, right, to let people know that they were broken into. So I think there's a lot of good lessons in here, Jess, might be fun to talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah it makes sense. So, um, so kind of reading some of this back in my own words and thinking back over the last however many days and the progression of this is um, a lot of folks were pretty jazzed about this at the beginning, yep. right? It was saying this was the biggest data dump uh, of stolen credentials ever. And it was like, people were pretty, pretty jazzed about it. I mean, not, not, not in a good way. People, people were excited about it. And, um, and uh, they were calling it Moab for mother of all breaches, which got my attention because I actually like Moab, the actual like physical location in Utah uh, for, for all the reasons people go out there. <laughs> it is beautiful. It is it beautiful. Is. Yeah, so it's a gorgeous spot. Uh, and it is uh, quite the adventure wonderland if uh, people haven't been out there. Anyway, um, yeah, so um, yeah, the progression seemed to be huge massive data dump have no idea where so many credentials come from everybody's like kind of uh at like agitated and unsettled a little bit and then we realized like it's kind of uh it's kind of it's leaked from a site that does this as a as a core part of their business like like you mentioned but it's um but but it's interesting because it seemed like um some people were uh, critical of this organization that lost all these credentials. And as far as I'm concerned, like, and I, I think about it, it's like, well, they're available on this site. So, and they had a misconfiguration of the fire. I'm actually, let me take this back. So they were available on the site for the purposes of trying to identify whether your information had been breached between, or like the last 15 years. Like, <laughs> right. did you lose it as part of LinkedIn? Did you lose it as part of that? Did you lose it as part of like whatever third-party site that got breached? So it was- MySpace uh, is in there. 
Yeah, I don't. I don't even know how far back that goes. That's like, fresh I don't, data. Yeah. 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 <laughs> right. Actually, speaking of, I should go out and update MySpace page again. <laughs> Let Tom know you're still around. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, uh, so it seems like they're trying to do like po- like something positive and try to help people out. Um. So, and they've kind of collected this over the year from scraping it from Pastebin and various sources. They aggregate it, put it together, and then subsequently lose it. And people get wrapped around the axle about it. I'm like, I don't really understand it. Is so, uh, they've collected the information from scraping. They had a misconfiguration that also allowed scraping of their stuff. So the data that was already out there was basically uh, control C, control V. So copied, pasted. <laughs> it's not new information. So I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't really understand why people are getting wrapped around the axle on this one. I think, I think I can give uh, a little bit of leniency to the public uproar because the folks, uh, I believe it's Cyber News, that originally posted on X, formerly Twitter, um, about this having happened, created this like um, super uh, exciting post about it. Right? They said, "We have discovered." Yeah, a repository of 26.6 billion accounts. Um, and it's not known yet whether it is owned by a hacking group or blah, blah, or blah, blah. And so they made it sort of like sort of mysterious. And, you know, it's all this very big. And let's face it, a lot of large numbers. I mentioned uh, to Justin earlier that 26.6 billion records is almost exactly five times the total number of individuals that connect to the internet in the world, according to the most recent data from the CIA. So I think that's kind of interesting. But so five for every human. Um, anyway, the, but the, the, the original post was like super attention grabbing. And I think that that was probably its purpose. But then like five minutes later or whatever, the, the leaked people who did this said, yeah, we had a firewall misconfiguration. It's fixed now. Um, unusual that we would have gotten this amount of publicity. Now, Having said all of that, right, having, having, I think, I'd like to think we knocked a little bit of the shine of how exciting all this is. Uh, Troy Hunt, again, to mention him again, and if you know Have I Been Pwned, uh, Troy has been doing that for a long, long time, kind of, kind of almost like a public service. Um, he's actually a Microsofter uh, in the field, um, and he's been doing this for a long time. He wrote an interesting blog about it that talks about the fact that these types of repositories exist all over the place. Mm-hmm. You know, that um, both hackers and open source projects, they sort of collect these things and they all have their own little pile of data. Um, And, you know, you can never ascribe motivation to why people do things. Uh, But he actually gave some history on a couple of other folks who had similar repositories that got found by authorities, you know, by officials. And some of those people went to the big house, right? Because it was clear that while maybe on their website, it said, Never ever use this for hacking, especially don't use all these password and username combinations that are available to you in clear text to go break into systems, which you would do like this, right? And it was sort of like, you know, tongue in cheek. So the I think that, you know, Troy's point was that sites like this that don't take the time to scrape off the, the dangerous kind of I can now log in information aren't necessarily doing a great service. So, you know, I think there's that out there as well. But... There's something you said um, that I think is really, for me at least, it's the real value in understanding that this happened. Like if 26.6 billion is now the number that we have to use to get people's attention, at least now we can say all of you should be super pissed, right, that these other organizations that had their stuffed data and, and fed here 
allowed you each to have had your data stolen at least five times, right? If you stop and think about yeah. it. I mean, I, th I think that maybe we can use this as an opportunity because I think when it's 100 million accounts here and 100 million accounts there, ah, jump change, right? But, you know, but I think that if we start recognizing the fact that it's like the population of Earth a couple of times, you know, maybe we should be thinking a little bit more seriously about why does this continue to happen and how does all this information come up? That's it. I, th I think that's, that's the biggest takeaway from all of it. All right. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting to like think back over the years and like it's kind of like the evolution and meaning of a password. Mm. You know, like you go back, I, I don't know how many, like just say, say 20 years, right? And this password's like this very like secret thing. And uh, like the idea of like, password management and hygiene like i mean it was a thing but not like what it is today right mm -hmm. and um but how common it was to reuse your password and it like back then it was reasonable to think like if you got someone's password it's probably going to work for quite a few systems but i think especially now over over the years and kind of listening to all the security professionals saying don't like cr create unique passwords don't don't use your work email address for like your personal accounts because they can always trace it back to the organization which you work for. And um, but but now like here we are in 2024, and I think more so than ever, like people are starting to realize, be like, huh, maybe I shouldn't use my dog's name with an exclamation point at the end like 50 times over, <laughs> you know, and have have different passwords for uh different stuff. So um. Well, I think it's um, like it's not good. Like we're like even still in 2024. Like I like I wouldn't say w we as a collective are good at application security. Like there's yeah. like sure there's there's definitely some bright spots for sure. But as a general practice, like there's still people trying to get into the field. And by the way, like they don't always think about developing secure code, and most don't really understand it. Right? They understand how to write an object class and how to pass data between classes, but aren't necessarily familiar how to secure it so um so anyway like all, all all things considered we're um i think we're like we're like we're improving in some areas but as like a improving in some areas as consumers but then i think uh on on the other side like it just proves like from like an app security standpoint like we still got a really long way to go and you, you know, like you talk about Troy Hunt and some of the others, right? Um, really, um, I mean, there's there's uh, there's kind of like an extension of gratitude that almost goes out and saying like, on the surface, it kind of seems like, oh, should you do this? I, got, I, I, I don't know the answer to that, but kind of like fast forward to where we are today. It's like, all right, well, you've driven a level of awareness to like these things exist. They happen often here's how you protect yourself here's if your credentials come up there's enough monitoring services out there that proactively alert you and they do it as like a service and a good thing so um coming back to what you're saying there's um it i to me it's, it's been a it's been a valuable service and um fast forward how many years he's been doing this now um yeah. Yeah, it, it seems like there, there's a level of gratitude that should be ex extended you know yeah, I think you just brought up, you know, actually three interesting points in the course of that one set of statements, right? Um, I want to start with the last one first, which is about 
the, the work that, that Troy does, but more importantly, the data that he gathers, right? I don't know of any, you know, major organizations, we, we deal with some, but I mean, just in general, if they're not being supported by somebody, you know, that's a conscientious service provider, I don't know a lot of folks who spend a lot of time looking out on the dark web, onto Payspin, onto wherever, to see if any of their corporate accounts are showing up there, right? And that using that to automatically drive password reset, right? I mean, if you think about it, once it's out there, once you see it, even if it's just the corporate one, you do a reset. Or if you see one, you know, you ask your employees to give you their personal email addresses, right? And you see if those show up out there. Because that would just be a very, very easy, proactive way to address the issue of somebody trying to break in using a stolen credential before it can happen. So I, th I think that's kind of, you know, interesting based on what you were saying. Um, another thing, you, we talked about, you know, your dog, your password. Um, I talked to uh, Stephanie Sierra at ABC out in San Francisco over the weekend, right? And she was like, you know, why? And I was like, well, because we said have a complex password. Right now, password enforces, I need a couple of digits, some capitals, some smalls. It's got to be, you know, 12 to 18 digits long. And this is kind of hard. Oh, and by the way, some of the other sites are like, it can only be eight digits long, or maybe it has to be 24 digits long, and you're not allowed to use this, or you're not allowed to use that. And we've made it really, you know, kind of hard to create a single password that satisfies all of these. So once somebody does that, they're like, now I'm just going to use that one everywhere. Right. Because having a complex password for every different site can be really complicated. Now, for me, as you know, cybersecurity wank for all these years, I have a little formula inside my head. So every site's password is different because I use a characteristic of the site every time I set a password. Right. But there's a lot of formula involved. It's just easy. And it's just the same over and over. But none of the passwords, hopefully, are the same. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see how that all works out. But it's one way to do it. But then you've got, you know, the emergence of the password vault people. Right, whether it's LastPass or OnePass or what have you, you know, this is another way, right, that regular humans can can get around this, where these these utilities create a new password every time you need one, you want a new site. But I think that that has its own set of difficulties um, because then you have to have that utility installed everywhere. It's got to exist inside your browser or on your phone, or if I want to get into it from some kiosk somewhere, it can be a pain in the ass, you know, and so. This is really, really a complicated bit. And the last piece to your point on the application security stuff, um, I think it's kind of sad that we're still using the same authentication mechanisms that I used in 1987 when I was connecting to network computers using UU Chico or UUXE, right? Username password, here I go. You know, and that was back when we all knew each other, basically, right? There was a, there was a much smaller <laughs> community and the web didn't exist. And, you know, we still... You know, we thought that that was enough, and it kind of was, right? You, you use ROT13 to protect private messages because everybody had respect for the sanctity of email. Uh, but, you know, flash forward 10 years after that and now to today, you know, there's a, there's a community that does nothing but try to get into stuff. And yet we're still asking developers to write the same code, right? And so, meh. And then the last thing, right, about the developers writing the code um, I don't know if we've talked about it on the show before. I think you and I mentioned it, and I, I sometimes blend the two together. Um, but the recent research that came out about AI-generated code, um, mm. they actually measured the effectiveness of AI-generated code where there was a security implication to it, like, you know, logging in or crypto or whatever. And the number that sticks out of my head, although I could be making it up, but I promise I'm not, 54% uh, of the code they checked was insecure. 
So people are like super excited. Look at ChatGPT writing my Python for me or writing my whatever for me, and it's making it insecure. So not only did they never learn it, now they're going to rely on a system to generate it that doesn't know how to do it. And they ha since they never learned it, they can't even check the system out. So we're going to have more and more and more and more insecure things, exactly as you've described, are propagating going forward. Mm, interesting. I didn't, I didn't think about it that way. Uh, it's, a, it's a fascinating thought. Um, we should do, uh, we should, we, we should do an episode on, on that, that topic, but specifically like my, where, where my mind immediately goes is if you have a GPT model that can actually secure code and it gets better at it, what does it do for anybody that's running a CI CD pipeline security organization? Right on. Well, you know, and, and we know that some vendors are claiming that their source code tooling will now make recommendations for how to how to fix the problems that you have. But, you know, you and I haven't been around the space for a long time. You know that those recommendations are never going to be right. I mean, they may be notionally correct. Yeah. You know, you forgot to freeze some memory or it looks like you didn't protect user input validation the right way. But it's unlikely that it's going to understand the breadth of the application, all the way that interface is used. And so the recommendation may be kind of met. And as soon as you tweak it a little bit, then you're introducing the opportunity for more insecurity again. But yeah, I think it'd be great to do do an episode on that and the you know the impact, positive negative, of auto-generated code and automated re remediation recommendation generation um, coming out of uh, you know the language models and just trying to make it work. I think it's a great idea. Yeah, I love it. Next one. Yeah. Absolutely. So I think, you know, if we sum up um, the Moab, the mother of all breaches, it really kind of wasn't. It, you know, to me, it was kind of like the grocery store of all breaches, the GSOAB, right? So basically, all the data was there. We can argue philosophically whether it should have been there or not. Um, was this organization particularly horrible because for 24 hours they had a misconfigured firewall? No. I think, that would, you know, my experience, they'd probably put them in the top 10. <laughs> right, that that they did, they, they're doing pretty good if that's the only you know exposure they had in the course of the organization's lifetime. So you know, for me, big overblown story. Hopefully, we can get some value to the public in terms of understanding that they should be demanding more and better. But mm -hmm. yeah, kind of a bet on you for folks who made a big deal out of this, trying to get people frightened about it when when really it, it wasn't that much of a change. To your point, the stuff had been scraped someplace else before. And there is enough pain and suffering in cybersecurity without artificially creating more. Yeah. Cool. Uh, I, I think we beat this one up pretty good. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, Jack, this is fantastic. Thanks for chatting with me about Moab. And uh, reminds me of um, uh, all the times I would go out to Utah. It is a beautiful ride. I recommend it <laughs> yeah. super highly, super highly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, well, if you heard this episode, you like it, please share it with all your friends. Please subscribe and ask your friends to su subscribe. Uh, this uh, Expanding the show's audience base is how Jack and I keep keep all the good times going here and uh, allows us to, to continue to do this week in and week out. Um, so thanks for listening and we'll get you on your next episode. Thank you.